And I want to look at a subject this morning that is a very sensitive subject. And I do not profess to be um, ex- ex- exceptionally um, educated in this area. I stand upon the Word of God tonight, or this morning, and I want to look at a an illustration in the Scripture to back up this subject. And I didn't tell you what that subject is yet. I cover your prayers as we go into this message this morning. I'm going to give you the subject, and then I'll give you the title. Emotions. Emotions are intent. Feelings such as love, hate, and despair. And that is the definition I would give you this morning. That is the definition I found for emotions. The subject that I want to talk about this morning is a frightening subject called emotions. But I believe it's imperative that we are aware of how emotions emotions control our lives and control our thoughts and sometimes even destroy our very beings. And it's a powerful thing. And we were created by God Almighty as emotional beings. Some of us are rather emotional beings and more emotional than others. But we're all created emotionally. We have feelings. And right here is the whole, the whole issue that we run into when we talk about emotions and emotions that are causing problems in our lives. Emotions that I struggle with, it's usually going to come back to this word feelings. It's when I'm starting to rely on the fact that I don't feel right, okay? So when I don't feel right, then I start dwelling on the thoughts of why I'm not feeling right. And at that point, somebody takes the second seat, and that's Jesus Christ. Feelings are a general emotional condition, if you need a definition for feelings. Faith, fact, and feeling. We have feelings. They need to be in the proper place. And if our faith and fact aren't in the right order, feelings are going to take over because we're emotional beings and that's how we are created. Turn with me for some opening verses to Isaiah chapter 8. And like I said, this is a sensitive subject. This is a controversial subject. And I don't tend to stand with any one of you this morning and argue points and situations. I want to take you to the Scripture and look at an individual who went down a trip. He went on a trip with his emotions. But first off, I want you to know the setting that individuals find themselves in. And when an individual finds themselves in this situation, as we're going to look at in our opening verses, it's a very dangerous place for an individual to be alone. Here we have Isaiah speaking, and what he is speaking, he is just ready to prophesy of the coming. Thank you. Coming of the Messiah, and that is a great news. But we have to understand the condition of the people that when the Messiah arrived. And he describes the condition of the people before the Messiah arrives in Isaiah chapter 8. I don't know if I told you that. Isaiah chapter 8. I'm going to start at verse 20. And I want you to see the contrast of light and darkness. Because if you're living in the light, your, mar- your emotions are going to be properly balanced and in the right place. And if you're living in darkness, you're going to be dwelling on your emotions and it's going to get more and more intense on your life and on your heart and pressing in upon you and causing us to do the most despicable acts. Let's look at verse 20 here, starting here. It says, To the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, and they shall pass through it, hardly be stead and hungry. And it shall come to pass that when they shall be hungry, they shall fret themselves and curse their king and their God and look upward. Verse 22 
And they shall look unto the earth, and behold, trouble and darkness, dimness of anguish, and they shall be driven to darkness. Nevertheless, the dimness not shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at first he did lightly afflict the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Here's the verse. And the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light, and they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. We are not created to dwell in that immense darkness. It says, and he talks about people who dwell in the land of the shadow of death. And when we ride that emotion, it's going to take us into a land of the shadow of death. It's a frightening place to be out there in the shadow of death. We're feeling very hopeless at that moment. That's where the people were. That's where Judah was. That's where Israel was. That's where the Hebrews were. And God said, Son, it's time to go. It's time to go. And when Jesus came, he found, he found a dark world. Where are you at this morning in your spiritual walk? Where are you at with your relationship with Christ? Where are you at with your relationship with others? Do I even see that there are other people around me? Or has my focus become on myself, is focusing on myself, and I don't even realize that there are really other people in church. There are really other people that are struggling. All right, title of the message this morning. I need to explain it a little bit. The title of the message this morning is The Four D's of the Devil. The Four D's of the Devil. They're his darts. But there's four D's of the devil, and I'm going to give them to you. In a little different way. I don't know how many of you are, are old enough to remember Brother Marvin King, but I dug an old cassette out from our church and I listened to Brother Marvin King. And the reason I listened to Brother Marvin King because he was the greatest evangelist preacher I have ever heard when I was a little boy. And when he preached, it mattered. And what he said was important to me as a little boy. And when I could find a cassette of his now still voice forever, that was him preaching, I took it and I listened to it, and I believe it was God planting a seed for a message. He has died and gone on. Marvin King made this comment in his message on carnality, overcoming carnality, and he said in his message, there's limbs people find themselves on. We know that phrase. Boy, they're way out there on the limb, right? That's right. People find themselves way out there on the limb. This morning we're going to take a walk out on, this, on that limb this morning. And there's four limbs we're going to find ourselves on, and I've titled, labeled them the four D's of the devil. Number one. Limb number one that we find ourselves on. Is discouragement. And you wonder what this list is going to end up like. Then we have limb number two. And that is just depression. I'm going to write these down so that you have time to, to, to write them down if you want to this morning. It's depression. Now we already know we're on dangerous ground when you want to talk on a subject such as that. And then we have limb number three. Limbs people find themselves on. These are the limbs that Brother Marvin King listed and it struck a chord with me. Despondency. And then we have limb number four, the most dangerous, the most fragile limb that one can ever find themselves on, and that is the limb of despair. You think the Bible talks about that? Think we can go to the Word? Do you think that God's Word would actually speak to issues such as this in our day? Do you think it's possible that we can go into the Word of God and find something that would speak to the issues of emotions? Do you think the Hebrew people, do you think God's people were 
emotional people. Yeah, we could spend all morning looking at how emotional his people were. But this is four stages in order of progression in one's life that when we get on this trip that their emotions going to take us on. It's usually in this progression. And I ask you the question, which limb are you on this morning? If you're out on a limb, where do you find yourself? Do I recognize any of these in my life? You know, Satan has not been able to cause the Christians to fall in, in the church. And where he has not been able to cause them to fall through persecution, he has opened a whole new battlefield and it's in our emotions. And he's been able to take down Christians without ever touching them because he gets and disturbs their emotions and gets them unbalanced in their spiritual walk. And he can tear down a Christian without the persecution. And therefore, that battleground lies before us today. And we need to be well prepared and well armored for this spiritual battle. I believe the Christian life, and you would agree with me, the Christian life is a life of joy and happiness and peace. And we must respond in a positive way to the chastening of the Lord. He will take us through valley experiences as we're going to look at in our text verses this morning. And you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 18 if you want to. We're going to look at that. God never intended His created being, His children that are saved by the blood of Jesus, His own Son, to live in darkness. He never intended His children to live in states of turmoil. And it doesn't matter what age bracket you fall in this morning, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have entered this the potential to enter this um, battleground. And we all struggle with emotions. And we all have valley experiences. But God doesn't intend us to stay in the valley. So we want to recognize these characteristics. Whether they're in our life or whether they're in the life of our brother and sister or whether they're in the life of our children, mommies and daddies, these battles are real for your children. This is real in their lives. Their problems are big to them. And you think it's not big to your child when he comes and he is struggling with the feelings part of the deal. And you don't really care because it doesn't, it's not really all that important. This is real. This is a real battle for our children sometimes and our youth. We must understand. And we must care. Maybe we are not struggling with the feelings of emotion. Maybe we're having victory and we have faith, fact, and feeling in order, but our child hasn't or our youth hasn't. All right. The text verses here today is going to be found in 1 Kings chapter 19. Sorry, I told you chapter 18, but I want to refer to what took place in chapter 18. The setting we have here today is Elijah. And did you know that Elijah took an emotional trip? But he came back on the, from this trip. Some people don't come back. Some people go on a trip and they don't come back in the spiritual world, in the spiritual realms. But what we have here today is where, where we start want to start reading is that we had Elijah having a mountaintop experience in Mount Carmel, one of the greatest acts of power that, that, that we can think of, of God answering man's prayer and bringing fire down at that moment and consuming everything that is not even combustible is burned up. Now, how powerful is that? You'd think you'd never have a valley experience after a Mount Carmel experience, right? And as if that wasn't enough, he went in the power of God and he slew the prophets of Baal. I believe that Elijah was, it was like running on adrenaline, if you know how that was. There's no stopping Elijah. He was filled with the power of God. And matter of fact, the power of God came upon him and he outran Ahab. As he ran ahead of that chariot, that would be the most amazing thing to see, almost, to see a, a man running through the rain faster than a chariot. This is Elijah's experience. Surely the man of God would not take a trip on emotions. But I said, Satan comes in and he attacks at our weak points, or he'll take us, attack us at our mountaintop experiences and try and drag us down into the valley. But let's take a look at Elijah's little trip that he took here. Elijah struggles to overcome feelings 
and to live by faith. That's hard for me to believe, a man of God, to struggle in believing in God. If Elijah struggled, where does that put me? Think about it. And Elijah could be looking at us today and saying, come on, what's the problem with you? The blood of Jesus covering you. You shouldn't be struggling with something like that. You think Elijah would say that today? I don't know. That's just an imagination. I want to make something very clear here before we go on. As we talk about Elijah, it's a perfect time to say this. We are not talking about mental illness. Remove that thought. I'm talking about a spiritual battle to where somebody allows themselves to go on a trip with their feelings. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm just going to go eat worms kind of feelings about themselves. Elijah was not a mental case. Elijah was going through a valley experience and only to find God at the other side and that God was with him that whole time. That's where we're at. God is with us. God doesn't leave us. So we just have Elijah having this mountaintop experience. And maybe there's young people here today that had mountaintop experience. Maybe you went to CAST for a while and enjoyed that. Maybe you were at MBS and you enjoyed that mountaintop experience. And then you come home and you feel like crashing. Maybe um, some of you are on disaster projects and you come home. You feel blessed that you were able to go and that was a mountaintop experience. We have those and we need those. I think I'm going to read the verses at this time. And in almost said Elijah. In 1 Kings 19, we're going to read this account of Elijah after he ran ahead and came to Jezreel ahead of Ahab. Verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger under Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and he went for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he left his servant there. And he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die. And he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake, bacon on coals, and a curse of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink. And he went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for my Lord, the God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth. And stand upon the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and he brake in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard that heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave and behold, there came a voice unto him saying, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars and slain thy prophets with the sword and I, even I, only am left and they, they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go! 
Return unto thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu to the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mohola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass, him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, and all the knees that have, which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth, mouth which have, hath not kissed him. Cease reading there. Did you see in your mind, imagination, this little trip that Elijah took? And we must ask ourselves about Elijah. Elijah at this point, how did he get to where he was? How did he get started down this path? And I think it's imperative that we need to know and we need to see what happened to Elijah because it's exactly what happens to you and I in our lives. He was a man. He was a man as us. Let's look in verse 3. And it says, And when he saw that, and when he saw that, what did Elijah see? He saw something. He saw an angry woman. When he found out what Jezebel said about him and what all that he could see, he had tunnel vision now, and the only thing he could see was an angry, angry woman. And there's only one thing to do, and that is to get out of the way of the angry woman Jezebel. And if he doesn't get out of the way of angry woman Jezebel, he's done for. He knows it. She'll have no mercy on him. So what he has now done is taken his eyes off of Almighty God who just sustained him and kept him and gave him power and he looks at his feelings of fear towards an angry woman. Therefore, he starts down this road and he starts down this trip and he looks at his circumstances and that's where we compare. We start looking at our circumstances and wondering, wondering how I'm going to get out of it because... You know, nobody else has it like I do. And so we start down this trip with our feelings foremost. And we start dwelling on our feelings and wondering, how are we ever going to make it? So our first step, I would like to say our first step going out on this limb that we are talking about is a limb of discouragement. We find ourselves there. I have found myself there. What do we do when we find ourselves going out on that limb of discouragement? The discouragement is, as a definition, the depression of one's spirit to deprive of courage or confidence. You can just now imagine those exact feelings in our lives that we have experienced already. To deprive of courage and confidence. You don't really feel like doing anything. You feel it's no use. We don't have that confidence. We're saying to ourselves at this point, Oh no, what am I going to do? I have to get out of this somehow. Do you see who's foremost in that thought pattern? I. What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? I, I, I. And that's what Elijah's problem was when he saw that the angry woman was about to pursue him and he needed to do something about it. When we become discouraged, we are no longer filled to the brim with the Spirit of God and there's become room for, for thoughts and feelings about ourselves. I ask, is it wrong to feel discouraged? No, but when we feel discouraged, do I acknowledge that this is a feeling of discouragement and I do something about it as far as I acknowledge it and seek to overcome it? It's when we're looking at our situations and circumstances from man's point of view. 
And when we look at circumstances in life from man's point of view, we will most certainly feel discouraged and we'll feel defeated. We have this mentality that nobody has it as bad as me. I know people like that. And when you talk to them and you, you visit with them on just a common conversation, you know it's all about them. Me, 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 I, I, I. Nobody has it as bad as me. It doesn't really matter if there's a brother who's, whose foot is, is, is in pain and in danger of being taken off. He doesn't have it as bad as me because he doesn't know what I'm going through. Do you understand? We start comparing ourselves to our brothers and sisters and nobody has it as bad as me. Discouragement. Feelings. You know, Elijah, he didn't look around very long for a brother or sister, did he? Took his servant. Distracted from seeing God's sovereign will. And I think that is huge in the Christian, is to continually acknowledge that God is sovereign no matter what our circumstances are that we face. Whether they are overwhelming us, that God is still sovereign. He has not changed since Elijah ran from Jezebel. Do you think about that? I think the loss of joy in our heart is evidence that we may be discouraged. So what are some causes of discouragement? Why would you and I find ourselves in feeling discouraged? It's a choice. I don't know if you agree with me, but it's a choice of whether I'm going to continue to feel discouraged and and focus on my feelings is a choice. But there's heavy burdens that man was not meant to bear sometimes gets us down in feeling discouraged, such as financial setbacks. Maybe none of you understand what that is. But that is real in families, family life. Um, job losses. And things seem to snowball from there. Cause us to be discouraged. Defeat. The feeling of defeat. Like I can never live in victory. I'm always falling, falling back. Apparent failure. And I don't know why Elijah would have, would have had feelings like this. But apparent failure. It seemed to him that... He didn't do enough, and now Jezebel was out to get him. And to him, that was apparent failure, and so he, he runs. Um, sickness. Continual sickness, chronic sickness, sometimes causes us to just feel discouraged. My body's aching, and my body's in pain, and it wears down, and we're focusing on those pains, and we're focusing on those feelings of infirmities within us, and we start feeling discouraged. It'll get us there. It'll take us there. It can take us there. So we need to know some remedies to get us off the limb of discouragement because I said when we go down this road of progression, it leads one, from one to another. So some remedies against discouragement. And I don't have all the answers, but we can find them in the Word. We need to recognize the symptoms. Oh, I don't think these feelings are from God. This seems pretty selfish to me. And it's kind of hard for us to admit to ourselves or to somebody else that I'm feeling, feeling selfish. I think a question we need to ask ourselves if we have feelings of discouragement is, what am I doing here and why did I get here? What, what's happening that I, I become feeling discouraged? I didn't used to feel that way a couple weeks back, a couple months back. Something is happening that is causing me to continually feel discouraged and we need to identify it. We need to identify it. We need to cast our burdens on the Lord and then not pick them up again. And I just, I just think there's so many times that we come to the cross of Christ and we give Him our burdens and we tell Him all about it and we tell Him how our heart hurts and we tell Him our problems because He's our best friend and He's the one that can do something about it. And we get up and we walk away from that cross and we pick them up and we tuck them right with us again. That's sad. Jesus doesn't want it. Jesus wants us to nail him to the cross or allow him to nail him to the cross, however you want to picture that, and leave him there. But it's when we pick him up and take him again. Whatever it may be that's heavy on our heart. Now we, we need to turn to Scripture, and I trust that we would be turning to Scripture when we are feeling discouraged. Psalm, 20, Psalm 55, 22. Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. And he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Well, we read that and then we claim that. 
And we say, that is for me. And we acknowledge the feelings of discouragement are not of God. And of course, the verse in Matthew where Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I just want to give you some scripture. If you're feeling that this morning, the scripture is as new as it was when it was written. God wants to bear our burdens. Jesus Christ wants to be yoked with us and carry our burdens. He also told his disciples, and don't take this to the extreme, but he does say, come apart and rest a while. Maybe we decide, decide, well, that's what I need, and we come apart and we rest a while and we stay there. But we do need rest and we do need to be refocusing on, on Jesus Christ. And brotherhood, this is for you. If there is one brother or sister here today who is feeling discouraged, it says in Hebrews 12, 12, Wherefore lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. We need each other. Beauty of brotherhood. Alright, so we have Elijah here looking at his problems and he's sneaking out on that limb of discouragement. He doesn't even realize it. He doesn't, he, he doesn't recognize it at this point, and we want to learn something from this. And we don't go very far into the verse when we come see that he is he's now going out on the limb of depression. Limb number two, the limb of depression. It says that he came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and he does something interesting when he is feeling discouraged, greatly discouraged. He says he left his servant there. The only companion that he had taken with him, he doesn't need him anymore. He doesn't need him. He leaves him behind. That's a dangerous place to be. I wonder how many times we have friends around us that see that we're discouraged, but suddenly we don't need them anymore. There's something happening, and it's the transition out to number two, and we're becoming depressed. We're experiencing that ugly word of depression. The dart of depression that Satan is now firing at us as he sees we're discouraged, he's attacking. So limb number two is depression. Dwelling in discouragement. That's what depression is. Dwelling there. Staying there. No intent to come out from these feelings. Also, it's low in spirit. If you would look at the definition, it says now that it is affected with psychological depression. So it starts affecting the body. At this point, the body is now responding to discouragement. We had opportunity to come out of these feelings through Jesus Christ. We had opportunity to give them up. We had opportunity to say, hey, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not a good place to be. But we do not. And we're now on limb number two. We're now feeling depressed. And we now have our bodies responding to those feelings. Our bodies were not intended to feel the feelings and carry the feelings of depression. And so negative things start happening in our body and part of that is psychological depression and um, it's hard to think straight. It's hard to reason. The body was never created to live in these conditions. So what are some causes of depression? Well, not recognizing that we're discouraged or doing anything about it. And so Elijah didn't recognize that and he leaves his servant behind. Um, blaming our troubles or circumstances on the circumstances around us. Elijah is saying what he did do that was right, but the wickedness of the people and that the, they want to kill him and, and he's the only one left. And you see his thought pattern. Blaming our troubles on the circumstances around us. It never works to blame our troubles on somebody else or on the circumstances around us. It doesn't fix anything. And here's another one that is real in the Christian's life of, of feeling depressed, or an individual, I should say, who is feeling depressed. 
not taking wrong responsibilities for these wrong feelings. These feelings that are getting us down, these feelings that are taking us on a trip, we're not taking responsibility for our own feelings anymore. And now we have what this big long word is, entitlement, okay? Now we have individuals who, who um, believe that they are entitled to, that you owe it to me. See, here, there, the focus is on myself again. When there's feelings of entitlement, the focus is on self and what you had better be doing to me or what you are not doing for me. You have not offered to help me and you really should be offering to help me. Well, when should I have offered to help me? Well, way back there two months ago, you should have been helping me and I noticed that you didn't do anything about it, Steve. Do you understand the mentality? Do you understand the thought pattern of entitlement? We know people who live with the mentality of entitlement. Yet, owe it to me. They're tough people. They're tough people. Entitlement. And then when you do take the risk and go and you do help them, that's never been acknowledged that you did help them because you didn't help them right. Because the focus is all on self. And we're living in depression. It's sad. Now we're showing visible signs of the depressed spirit. Now brothers and sisters in the church will notice the visible signs on our bodies that we are depressed. Right? How many depressed people are cheerful and whistling and singing a song? No. There's evidence of sunken eyes, dis, dis, um, disheveledness. Sorry about using too big a words, but it is. Here's something else where we have causes of depression. Making poor decisions and impulsive actions. Poor decisions and impulsive actions. And that can get anybody into trouble. And we really hate to admit that that was a pretty bad decision that I just made. And I'm suffering the consequences from it. No, what we do is we blame it on the circumstance and that it really wasn't because I made a bad choice. It's because it just didn't really work out, you know. Well, what did Elijah do? It says that he, he, Elijah ran. He's running now from his problems. I'd like to draw a little picture of what that might look like. So Elijah ran. And I don't know if he thought his servant was cumbersome for running or he just didn't want to talk anymore, but he ran. An illustration. There's a school teacher who, who was feeling he got to this point and she was out on limb number two. And she was teaching school and she was teaching these little ones and the pressure mounted and the pressure mounted and the pressure mounted. And I don't know all the details because they're not really important, but what she decided was the only remedy for this feeling is to sneak off and run. And so she snuck off and run and never looked back and nobody knew where she was and nobody could find her anywhere. Just like Elijah. Didn't want anybody to know where she's at. Didn't want to think about school. Just wanted to run and hide. And that's what she pursued and took a long time to find her. She's okay now. Now some remedies for when we find ourselves in the depressed state. I believe we can still acknowledge in ourselves that we are depressed. Is that we recognize these feelings and state of mind is not of God, but that we have the choices we have made and relying on my feelings have got me to this point of depression of spirit. And at this point, we, we, we need to ask for help from our brothers and sisters. Youth, ask help for your parents. Tell them exactly why you're feeling, how you're feeling, and maybe why you're feeling or how you got there. Or maybe they can help you see why you're feeling this way. But there needs to be a parent-youth and a parent-child relationship because where else should a child turn or a youth turn for help with their wrong feelings and help with their emotions than their parents? That's how God has ordained an established family. And of course, you have your trustworthy church leaders need to be available too. And it's at this point when the brother and the sister of church can go and ask help from a brother and the sister that I'm not having right feelings. It is at this point 
that the world is saying, go and drink it away. You don't have to think about those feelings anymore. Have another drink. Have another smoke. Just let's not think about it at all. And the more we drink and the more we smoke, the more we don't have to think about anything. We don't even have to think about the feelings that are wrong anymore. That's society. And that's the road that they go. And that's how they deal with their problems. A Christian may never find themselves seeking the world's solutions. Probably a difficult remedy would be to open up and just to bear our hearts to others. And that's a difficult thing to do. Opening up the hard things in our lives. And sometimes we need help. Sometimes we're not sure what the issues are in my life, so I need somebody to listen to me. And then at that point, I do need to be willing to open up. And of course, we're seeking God at this time as we help one another. It's not necessarily unconfessed sin, an age-old sin. Sometimes that is present, that is, not, that is, is revealed through this, but it can be just that we have gone down the road of feelings. I don't feel saved anymore. And then we start doubting, and it takes us down this little trip. The brotherhood and parents must be on guard to see the symptoms of somebody on limb number two. We need to acknowledge that they need help and we need to respond to somebody who is on limb number two. I wonder how quickly we would be ready to salvage somebody out there on limb number two if we knew that they were just ready to go out on limb number three. Which would you rather be willing to help with? Or would you rather just sit back and watch your brother or your sister or your teenage child go on this trip and wonder whether it's ever going to take them? So limb number three. I tell you, brothers and sisters, this is a very, very serious limb to be on. It's a very, very serious condition to find oneself in. The limb of despondency. Limb number three. The limb of despondency is the depression of spirit. And here it is, withdraw from interaction with others. Trying to run from our circumstances again, as I said Elijah did. Focus is on me, myself, and I, and not God. And at this point, we're not responding to the offers of help from others. Uh Uh-uh. We're way out here on limb number three now. I'm not going to open up. I'm not going to allow somebody to get into my life. I'm not going to tell them my feelings. You think that's why Elijah left his servant? We want to look at him here a little bit. Elijah just wanted to be alone. Verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a juniper tree. And what did he do? Pout? I don't know if he is pouting, but this is what he did. He said he requested for himself that he might die. I said this is a very serious condition to find ourselves in. Elijah, the man of God who called power down from heaven, a fire down from heaven, is requesting of himself that he might die. It's not worth living anymore. He's still dwelling on his feelings. Brothers and sisters, God is no longer part of the equation. That is horrible. When we're out on limb number three, that despondent state, God is no longer part of the equation in our life. Our eyes lift no higher than ourselves. We do not acknowledge that God is still sovereign. And we're out there, way out there on limb number three. And Elijah says, he requested of himself that he might die. It is enough, O Lord, take my life. You know, I had to think of this as I was reading this scripture. I said, God is no longer in the equation. You know what Elijah did? He called called on God and told God what to do. You see that? He called on God and he told God what to do. And he's telling God that my life is no good anymore. And I'm not any better than my father's. Take my life away. Now imagine coming to that state in life and that condition in life 
where this man of God would call God and tell God exactly what he needs to do and just take my life away. Despondency. I said they don't respond to offers of help. They are hurting all those they love. All these folks that are closest to him, brothers and sisters in the church, spouses, husbands are hurting wives, wives are hurting husbands, parents are hurting children because they're despondent. They're, God is no longer in the equation. It's all about self. And we're hurting those that we love. God never intended mommies and daddies to hurt their children or to hurt each other because there are these feelings that we're not taking responsibility for. I say the body is now responding, continuing to respond. Our body is now continuing to respond to these feelings of despondency. And we find it in verse 5. And he lay down under a tree and he slept. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree. When we become so despondent, there's only one thing we want to do, and that is we want to sleep. Because when I'm sleeping, I am out of touch with life. I am out of touch with my problems. As long as I'm asleep, I'm, I'm, asleep, I'm okay. As long as I'm asleep, I don't have to face reality. As long as I'm asleep is when I feel the best. So I'm just going to sleep. I don't care what time of the day it is. Sometimes they're in bed all day. Sometimes they're in bed all night and all day both. And they're just going to sleep. And they're not going to take responsibility of the feelings that they're at. It's a terrible place to be. It's a very dangerous limb to find ourselves on. Elijah was there. Elijah says that he wants to die. And then he just lays down and sleeps. I don't know what his... I don't know what his long-term plan was at this point. I don't think he really had a long-term plan. And I wonder if he really thought God was going to honor those prayers and take his life. Causes for despondency that we would ever find ourselves out on limb number three is to remain in the depressed state, of course. To remain in the depressed state, we're not going to stay there for very long, so to speak. It's different for different folks before we find ourselves out on limb number three. Mourning, grieving can cause people to become despondent. And that's when we're not um, having proper, the proper concept of our feelings in our mourning and our grieving. It says that Jacob would not be comforted for Joseph. And there was no comfort for him. So he didn't allow anybody to comfort him. And I believe David got to that point too when his child died. Or up until his child died. You know, sickness and intense suffering sometimes can cause people to be so discouraged that they give up and they become despondent because they're focused on the intense suffering. Or David for Absalom, when Absalom was hung in the tree and he was killed there and then David just grieved and his sorrow was so great and he's saying that I would like to have just died. I would like to have took his place. Sometimes adversity, maybe you can identify with losing everything you have or almost everything you have. And it's not really worth living anymore because what I had is gone. Can you see that the focus so far is just on I? It's evident in Elijah's conversation with God, it's all about Elijah. God speaks to him there in the cave. He says this. I have been very jealous for the Lord God and thy children and so on. And he says, and I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So he's blaming them and he's saying, I, I, I. Did you ever see that when you read that portion of scripture? Elijah saying, I, 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 when not very long ago it was all about God Almighty. Me, myself, and I took a little trip, we could say, out on limb number three. All right, some remedies for despondency. We need to recognize our great need for God at this point. 
And it's going to be by the power of God to take us off of this limb and to take us out of this valley experience that we are facing, this darkness and this dimness that we read about in our opening verses, that we feel this darkness around us. It's going to take the power of God. We need help. We need to repent and confess that the state of selfishness and doubt that I am feeling in is wrong. The feelings. We need to repent that these feelings are wrong and that these feelings are controlling every aspect of my life. It's the feelings that I'm dwelling on. And we cannot continue to dwell on the limb of despondency. At this point, there's a serious spiritual battle for our souls and Satan is throwing them darts. And we're no match at this point to fight that battle alone outside the power of God. We need brothers and sisters and parents and friends and loved ones to, to rally around. Brothers and sisters, we must intercede with prayer and fasting. How easy would it be to just, just dismiss the thought that one of my brothers is out on limb number three? How easy would it be to go to work Monday morning, Tuesday morning, all through the week, knowing that I have a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter out on limb number three, and I'm not really going to do anything about it? We need to help those folks direct their minds back to God. Despondency left unchecked is going to lead to limb number four, despair. Now we're out on limb number four. Maybe you think Elijah never made it there. Despair is the hopeless state, feeling of no hope, utter loss of hope. We are now a loner. We've become a loner. And Elijah was a loner. And I believe that we can see that Elijah's entered into this state of despair when he would prefer to die and not live. It's a very dangerous place to find ourselves on. Folks, this is a very fragile, tiny limb that we find ourselves on that is ready to snap. At this point, when we are dwelling on feelings and if we find ourselves out here on limb of despair, we are in no shape to think rationally. We do no longer do we think rationally. And it is a frightening place to find somebody out in despair because they do the most despicable acts because nothing really matters. There's nothing important to them anymore. Despair. No hope. Do you understand what no hope means? We have a hard time contemplating that, but that is the feelings that we get. There's just no hope. We don't, don't, we don't think rationally. Dwelling on the immense darkness in one's life, it's all about me at the moment. It's how I feel right now. We can't think long term. We can't think out ahead. We can only dwell upon the thoughts and the feelings that we have. We feel evil all around us. We feel the evil of Satan pushing in upon us and then... The most frightening thing about aspect about limb number four is the voices. The voices in our heads that we hear, we hear voices. And they're telling us things that we oughtn't to hear. But I've got myself to the point that all I can think about is me, myself, and I and the terrible condition I'm in. And that nobody cares about me anymore. And I start hearing voices in my mind. And now I'm really confused. Was that the voice of God? Or was that the voice of the Holy Spirit? Or was that the voice of Satan himself? Or was that the voice of the demons and devils of hell that are telling me? It's no hope. There's no hope. Now I'm confused. I'm not sure who's speaking to me. You have, you have young people in your home and they come to you and they tell, you, they tell you that they hear voices and they're not sure what they're supposed to do. Are they supposed to obey these voices? It takes on a whole new meaning of Satan coming as a roaring lion at this point. A roaring lion. It's a very dangerous limb to find ourselves on. There was a young man that came to ten meetings one day here several years back now and he was from Jamaica and he came to the tent meetings and he sat through the service and he responded and he came and I got to pray with him 
And here he was on his way to take his own life that night when he came to the tent meeting. His car turned in. Something told him to turn into the tent meetings. But he was in such despair that the darkness was so thick that he could feel it and he couldn't even think. He couldn't see it work. And he tried to pray to God and God, his voice didn't even work. His tongue wouldn't work when he wanted to pray. Friends, this is a dangerous place to find ourselves on. And to think that I'm going to get out on limb number four and just come right back, that's a dangerous place to be. That's a trip we don't want to go on. But Joseph Watson that night found hope and he found Jesus. When we're in despair, something else takes place. And we see in... We might have to um, imagine this a little bit, but we, don't, we no longer eat. And we no longer drink. It's not important to us to be healthy. It's not important to us to take in food and to take in water. Therefore, the angel came and gave him something to eat and told him, eat. You might need somebody to come to you and say, brother and sister, it's time to eat. And I said that when we're on limb number three, that we want to just sleep it away. When we're on limb number four and we're in the depths of despair, sleep escapes us. A tossing and a turning and a rolling until we're so tired and our, and our bodies are so racked with, with sleepless nights and, and, a, and the lack of food and the lack of water. Is there any wonder we can't think rationally anymore? Because there's nothing really important in life anymore. And there's, there's, there's voices saying it's time to end it all. There's no hope. There's no reason for you to try to get back out of these feelings. You think that's very real? What about Judas in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5? Judas looked at what, his, what he had just done and that Jesus was not going to come off of that or, or be released and that Jesus was going to die. And he looks at it as it's hopeless and he goes and he throws the coins across the temple floor because those righteous, those righteous religious leaders wouldn't even help him in his most despairing part of life. They just allowed him to go and take his own life and hang himself. And after he was hung, they decided to better bury him. Is that how you would like to treat your brother or sister who has found themselves out on the limb for of despair and they're just crying out to help and you say, we'll help you later. We'll help you later. Judas knew right from wrong. He made a choice. And he saw his hope, his actions as hopeless. The devil is saying there's no way out. We're no match for the enemy outside the power of God. And because we choose not to believe that God is able to deliver me out of this situation and out of this feelings and off a limb for despair, because we, we believe that God is not able to, is why we do these drastic things. That destroy us. It's because we don't believe that God is able. Elijah didn't think God was able. He said, just take my life. The feeling of hopelessness is very real when the Spirit of God departs from a person. We don't respond in a positive way to God's love and God's chastening. Life's going to seem like a drudgery. We must respond in, in, in the right manner. So what does some things bring despair upon one's life? The heavy burdens that we were never meant to carry? Disobedience. Continual disobedience and living in disobedience to the Word of God and to the commands of God and to the doctrine of God. To live in disobedience continually and continually can take us on a trip and can lead us down to this road of despair. Disobedience. Disappointments. Broken relationships have this way of really robbing us of all joy and robbing us and we dwell on these feelings that is no longer not, life isn't worth living. Broken relationships, disappointments that I cannot bear, maybe impending death, maybe the futility of human beings, of, of, of humanity, when we suddenly realize 
I just can't do it. It's no use. I've tried and failed. I've tried and failed. I see where the focus is. I just can't do it. Maybe rejection. Maybe children are feeling rejected by their parents and it drives them to this state. Maybe rebellion. Rebellion to that headship order that we talked about the other night. God, Jesus Christ, the husband, the wife, the children, so to speak. And then we are living um, in rebellion. We don't honor that. We want our husband's position. Or maybe the husband isn't taking his position. And there's a rebellion in the headship order. Hopelessness should never be named amongst the Christian. Remedies for despair. Psalm 42. I'm going to read that for you. Psalm 42. Let's look at some uh, scripture. Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. I'm going to praise God even if I have these feelings. It is a choice. It is an intentional praising God in spite of my feelings. There is hope in God. I think verse 11 is repetitious. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. I wonder what our countenance looks like to other people. Is our countenance fallen? Because I have no hope in God. I have not hoped in God. We need to see God's faithfulness as a remedy. He has not changed since ever. God hasn't changed. Accepting God's chastening spirit. Because the alternative to accepting the chastening of God and the going through the valley experiences with God together, holding on to His outstretched hands, the alternative is going out on these limbs. I want to bring this to a close. It's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God. And the power of His Holy Spirit that we claim that power that we can live in victory. That we do not end up down here. It is by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit that we have victory in the Christian life. But sometimes I forget. I'm reminding us again this morning. But sometimes we forget. And we go out on the feelings again. And I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't feel like I'm loved. There is hope for all men on all limbs. There is hope. I'd like us to notice that even after God spoke to Elijah, Elijah still was thinking about himself. And two times he repeated himself about I, I, I. God had a challenging time bringing Elijah off of limb number four. Listen. Listen to the still small voice. You might be waiting on God to speak in your situation and you think He's going to do something dramatic with the thunder and the earthquake and the lightning and the storm or whatever it is that Elijah faced and God wasn't in it, but it was the still small voice of God. And God's saying today, saying, listen to me. Well, what did, what did God want Elijah to listen to? What did, he want, what did God want Elijah to do? Well, we find that. He says, go in verse 15. That's exactly what God meant. God told Elijah to go, and God meant what he said. And Elijah did the right thing, and he came out on the other end, and the limb never snapped. It says in verse 19, so he departed thence, and he went. And you know what's interesting? He asked God to take my life. I am no good. And God wouldn't do it. He took him to heaven on a chariot. Do you ever think about that? God, Elijah asked God to take my life. It is no good that I should even live anymore. And God takes him to heaven on a chariot. You think God has a sense of humor? 
No, Elijah, I am not going to honor that prayer. Wow. There's one more point, one or two more points here I want to bring out, and that is if, if Elijah, if Elijah had not been looking at this feeling thing, and if Elijah had not been looking at the angry woman, he would have found 7,000 men to stand by him. When we look at our feelings, we really miss a lot. And that is where the victory is. We need to look beyond our feelings. I want to encourage you this morning to do that. This is what we need when we're facing the four D's of the devil, is to look beyond our feelings and to, to accept the, the, the support of the brotherhood. And so, he departed thence. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know if this is all new to you and you never, never even knew that these feelings in these situations existed, but they are, and they, they, they do exist, and they are real, and in the people who are experiencing things like, like this on one of these limbs, let me, let me remind us that it is very real to them. It is very real in their lives. I'm going to ask us to kneel, and I'll have a kneeling prayer and turn the time over.